Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, this year's Oscar wins by director Chloe Zhao and actor Ya Jung Yoon were breakthrough moments for Asians in Hollywood. But a new study that looked at the biggest films of the last decade or so finds just a fraction featured an Asian American Pacific Islander lead, only 44 out of 1,300 films. The numbers get much worse when broken down further by gender, sexuality, or ability. As film and television shows begin to address the long erasure of people of color, the issues of tokenism and colorism, we look at how Asians are being represented and whether those portrayals are authentic and inclusive. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Stephanie Hsu plays Maylin, a smart, enthralling, and confident Chinese-American woman in the 1950s for the series The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I put money down. Hi. Hi. You the new tenants? I'm the new tenant. What the hell is going on in there? Where? Behind you, in there. Nothing. What's your name? Forget my name. What is that? Who are those people? Family gathering. Really? Yep. Your family? Yep. All of them? Yep. The guy serving drinks? My cousin. He was wearing a name tag. I have a lot of cousins. Those people in there are gambling. What? No. We saw dice. We saw cards. Throw cash around. I always like this space. What's it going to be? That's Stephanie Hsu, an actor whose TV titles include The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and The Path. Stephanie Hsu, welcome to Forum. Stephanie Hsu, are you there? And while we're trying to connect with Stephanie Shu, I'll also tell you that uh, Stephanie Shu will star in the upcoming A2 form film, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Stephanie Shu, are you with us? While we try to establish that connection with Stephanie Shu, I'll bring Nancy Wong Yun into the conversation, a sociologist and author of the book, Real Inequality, Hollywood Actors and Racism, and co-author of a study titled The Prevalence and Portrayal of Asian and Pacific Islanders Across 1,300 
popular films. Dr. Nancy Wong Yoon, thanks for being on Forum. Thanks for having me, Mina. Well, let me have you react to that clip you just heard. One of the things that was so lovely about um, Stephanie Shu playing that character is I feel like, especially after reading your study, that characters like that were sadly very rare in the last decade or so. Yeah, especially in the top uh, 100 films from we, our study went from 2007 to 2013. And we found that there were very, very few uh, leads and especially, um, I think, uh, you know, fully human, fully uh, interesting kind of roles that Stephanie portrays in a, in a movie or in a TV, in a streaming show, I guess, uh, Mrs. Maisel, that is actually set in a time where we really don't see a lot of Asian and Pacific Islander leads. Yes. Stephanie Shu, can you hear me okay? I can now hear you okay. okay Sorry good. about that. Oh, no, no. I, it, I appreciate that you are on with us. And also just wanted to find out from you as well, if you were surprised to get a script uh, about a role of a Chinese American woman in the 1950s that felt as multidimensional as May. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I first heard of the role, the um, tell all story is that before I read the script, I immediately said no, because mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be um, a dragon lady. <laughs> and I was really scared and I didn't even want to see it. And then, of course, when I read the script, I was so surprised. And I remember just thinking, I have never seen a character like this written before. So you basically thought it would be a stereotype, it sounds like. Is it because of some frustrating moments that you've had being an Asian actor in Hollywood? Well, I think it's because of everything I saw while I was growing up. Um, and, um, you know, when I was in high school, my first, one of my first musicals that I was in for our high school production was in, was Thoroughly Modern Millie. And if you're familiar with that musical, there's a character named Mrs. Mears, who is a white woman who owns this hotel and she is in yellow face or like geisha face. Mm. And it's historically played by a white woman. And when I was in high school, I played her, <laughs> which was so not okay. But <laughs> back then we weren't talking about things the way we are now, you know? So I think I, and that takes place I think in the 1920s or something. And so I think my associations with any period piece of a Chinese woman immediately goes to, used to at least until I started, got, got this opportunity, used to go to that extreme because that's what I grew up watching. And Nancy Wong, you know, I'm so struck by hearing Stephanie say the conversations we're having now suggesting that you know, portrayals of Asian Americans in film and TV, that they're getting better. I know you get asked that a lot. What is your answer to that question, if portrayals are getting better, if representation is getting better for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders? I think that it feels like it's getting better because things were either so invisible or so stereotyped, like Stephanie mentioned, that the fact that we have more than like a handful and that they're not, you know, completely uh, problematic, although there are still some, um, that, that it feels like, oh my gosh, there's so much progress has been made. But when you look at the statistics, the, the progress is not that great. And in fact, it's still not up to population parity. We're not still, we're still not 
not seeing as many as and diverse a population as we are in U.S. society. We're not seeing that reflected on screens. Talk about some of the numbers in your study, the number of Asian Americans in the top films from 2007 to 2019, and the types of roles that you frequently saw them being given. Yeah, so we have, you know, about 7%, just over 7% Asian. And if you add in Pacific Islander, you know, about almost, you know, 7.5. And I think that we're not seeing that many. In our study, we found that less than 6% speaking roles, and then only 44 out of 1300 top, you know, 100 films out of those years actually were leads. And 14 of them were Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> so, it's, you know, if we didn't have The Rock, where would we be? Oh um, and, only, and only six of them were women, right? So we're talking about just very, very few um, roles and the types of roles. Well, we are seeing, you know, more roles, more types, but then we're still seeing problematic uh, portrayals. Like, for example, uh, back in the day, you know, Anna Mae Wong, which, you know, who was a a star, a Chinese American star, the first one back in the silent era, 19, you know, thirties, when she started, she said that, you know, she could on her tombstone, she could have like, you know, or she died a thousand deaths because she always died in every single film she was in. We're still having that problem where just in 2019, over 25% of primary and secondary Asian and Pacific Islander characters died on screen. And when the study came out, Daniel Day Kim, you know, tweeted and said that, gosh, you know, that's, it's been such a problem in his own career that he can't even have his kids watch because, you know, they don't want to see daddy die on screen. And, and so we're still seeing those, um, those very kind of violent, and, and all of them were all but one role died violently. And so, you know, in a time of anti-Asian hate, this is really problematic to think about how Hollywood roles reflect that and reproduce that on screen. So you mean that in many ways, the characters were, were expendable in some way because they, they typically died. And then, as you say, in addition, I've been struck by how you have drawn this line from the way Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders are portrayed to the contours of anti-Asian racism that we are seeing, the way that it's manifesting now um, in terms of, say, the perpetual foreigner or the hypersexualized Asian woman. Can you talk a little bit about why you see that line is so direct from representation to racism? Well, when we are only portrayed as foreigners, um, you know, then we don't have the kinds of rights and we're seeing, you know, the, the kind of everyday micro and macro aggressions of go back to your country and then coupled with, you know, actual physical violence that we've been seeing all over the country, that that kind of mentality that we don't belong, that we're somehow, you know, not part of the society, even though we've been part of its the history since, since the beginning, those, um, unfortunately, those stereotypes in Hollywood Hollywood really affect the way that um, non-Asians perceive Asians, and this is this is because you know when they're not when they're not interacting or know any um, Asian and Pacific Islanders in their real life, they often turn, and this is subconscious, right? They often turn to Hollywood and media portrayals, and also news media, you know, um, negative propagandistic. Uh, language that's used and, you know, with the Kung flu and, and the China virus, those kind of things, all that together has a negative impact on how we are treated in everyday life. Stephanie Shu, have you seen changes uh, at the acting level from the time that you started out till most recently in terms of the types of roles that you're given and the types of ways, whether or not they perpetuate a stereotype or idea about Asian Americans, or whether or not they're more complex now? 
Um, I will say that I definitely have felt change. I would agree that, you know, the statistics really match up to what I still see um, in terms mm-hmm. of the fact that maybe productions or maybe shows will really be pushing for what they uh, think is diversity or inclusion. And then the person who, and they'll see a bunch of people. And then the person who ends up getting the lead is still the same type of person that has been getting the lead since I was 10, you know? Mm. Um, And so sometimes that is, that's a little frustrating sometimes because it, it feels as though you are um, a gimmick or a pat on someone's back to affirm their attempt to be better, but the follow through doesn't always show um, show up, and and that can be hard. And I would say that I what I still do experience a lot, even though I do think that um, casts are becoming more and more inclusive, and certainly Hollywood. I think because for better or for worse, because of cancel culture, there are just some things you cannot do now. You cannot get away with if you want to be making a good TV show or a movie in this business that five years ago, even you probably could let slip through the cracks. But I think these days you have to have at least some kind of awareness, um, especially with streaming. Um, But what I do see a lot still is that there is, um, you know, there are roles that are kind of the check boxes or the check boxes for diversity. So you'll have the quirky best friend or you'll have the really smart assistant. And those roles are still often the ones that are given and cast as people who are historically marginalized. We're talking about the need for greater Asian American and Pacific Islander representation in film and TV, and also the quality of that representation with Stephanie Shu, an actor who plays May on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and Nancy Wang Yun, who's just completed a study looking at the prevalence and portrayal of Asian and Pacific Islanders across 1,300 popular films. I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. What does representation mean to you? Can you Tell us about a moment when you saw yourself represented on screen and the impact that it had. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour about the amount and quality of Asian American representation as a new study finds that in the last decade or so, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders were often tokenized, isolated, or stereotyped 
in portrayals. We're talking with Nancy Wong Yun, a sociologist and author of the book Real Inequality and co-author of the study that found these stats from 2007 to 2019. Also, Stephanie Shu is with us, an actor with the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, also has been in the path and will star in an upcoming A2 form film, Everything Everywhere All at Once. I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation talking about the importance of representation on screen for people of color and a moment maybe when you saw yourself represented and the impact it had. You can join us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at kqed.org, or you can post your comments on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. I want to bring Gita Malik into the conversation now, a director and writer of the feature films India, Sweets and Spices, Troublemaker, and the short film Shameless. Gita Malik, thanks so much for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. One of the things that I was struck by in reading uh, Nancy Wong Yun's study was the stats also of Asian Americans behind the scenes, that only 3.5% of the directors credited for the top grossing films over that long period of 2007 to 2019 were Asian or Pacific Islander, and that the number is even worse when you break it down by women, I'm wondering if those stats are surprising at all to you based on your own experience. Um, no, they are not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, they, um, they are not surprising. I feel like there are great communities out here that support women filmmakers and people of color filmmakers, but within the, the studio system within Hollywood, it's still you're still working within a very, very homogenous system. So those numbers make sense to me from what I've seen. You've also really talked about authenticity and representation and that, you know, it goes beyond expecting actors to do it, that it really does have a lot to do with the people behind the camera. I've been struck by something that you said has risen in Hollywood, which is authenticity checks of scripts. Can you tell me what those are and how they're used? Sure. Yes, this is something I've seen um, and experienced myself. There's a story that someone wants to tell, um, you know, about a particular community of color, perhaps. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of excuses that are often made, oh, we couldn't find, you know, the right tier of writer, or these people came to us and they had a great take on the story, whatever it was. Um, but the, the stories themselves are not written by people from that community. And so those, you know, um, quite often, it's a white male who has written the story. Um, and what they ask people of color then to do is, oh, is this a story about South Asian Americans? If it's a story about Indians, they'll call in someone like me and say, hey, we've got this script here for you. You don't get paid to write it, of course, but if you could just take a look at it and sort of, you know, punch it up for, for the Indian American audience mm -hmm. and add those little flavors, those little, you know, those moments of authenticity in there, and they will pay you, you know, to do that, but they certainly don't, um, they don't necessarily hire you to do it from beginning to end. So I have seen that happen quite often and it's happened to um, quite a few of my friends as well. I've heard you say that, you appreciate that they're trying, but I guess the question is, why wouldn't they just have you be the person who directs or plays a major role on the creation of the film, the development of the film, if, if that's an audience they're trying to reach? Right. Absolutely. I think that's that's a real problem. I think that, you know, there's still this access problem. There's still these gatekeepers who will say we have this, this stable of people that we that have a track record that have worked and made money for us before. Uh, and so we just keep going to those writers and, you know, for, for someone like me to break in, it, it takes quite a lot. <laughs> so I'm glad that I've gotten to this stage at least 
But um, but yeah, I think it's really hard to to read these scripts over and over again and realize they're coming from people who are not part of the community but are trying to reach a certain audience. Um, and so you end up with a lot of these cliches and stereotypes because they're not authentic. They're taken from an outsider's perspective. Well, we've got some calls coming in and I'll start with Lily in San Jose. Hi, Lily, join us. Hi, um, I'm calling because when you talk about representation, um, my mind immediately moves to how Middle Eastern people are represented in media. Mm. Um, in my own experience, just watching television shows and movies, more often than not, Middle Eastern people are being represented as either religious extremists or terrorists. And I'm just concerned about when we're finally going to break away from that stereotypical narrative. Lily, thank you so much for bringing that in. Nancy Wong-Yoon would love to get your reaction to what Lily's saying. Oh, absolutely. Lily's correct. I actually worked on a study of uh, MENA actors, uh, Middle Eastern, uh, North African actors, and, and the, the stats are, are even worse than Asian Pacific Islanders in terms of television that we were looking at. And yes, they were either seen as uh, terrorists or tyrants. And certainly um, all of that, uh, if we're talking about violence, you know, anti, you know, people of color violence, this is an extreme problem. And, and certainly um, I think that the problem is Hollywood, you know, it does, it says that it's kind of neutral. It's just trying to, you know, produce entertainment, but that entertainment oftentimes uh, exacerbates uh, existent stereotypes. And certainly it does have an impact. And I think that we as audiences, you know, we need to uh, tweet, speak out, and also put our dollars where, you know, our values are and not uh, consume those and also support uh, films that are by, you know, BIPOC uh, filmmakers, writers, and, you know, so for the community, by the community, about the community, I think we need to, you know, just support those kinds of, of films and show Hollywood that there is money to be made in authentic representation. Yes, this listener writes, the more people of different backgrounds behind the camera, the more accurate portrayals in front of the camera will be. One of the things I was also struck by, Nancy Wong Yun, was how you covered the favoring, even amid the small sort of group of films, that there is a favoring of East Asian stories over, say, South Asian, Filipino, Vietnamese, Southeast Asian, Middle Eastern, and so on. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, so Hollywood, I think, it thinks of Asian as East Asian predominantly, like 65.4% of the, the speaking roles were East Asian, even though um, in the United States, actually South and Southeast Asians outnumber East Asians. So again, this is a lack of uh, mirroring of what US society looks like. And I think that that's, you know, that's an issue. I think that was a controversy with even Raya um, and The Last Dragon, where it's, a, it's about Southeast Asian characters, but a lot of the voice actors were East stations. But then at the same time, I think a lot of, you know, the actors are kind of saying, well, it's not the actor's problem. It's again, you know, people who are writing this, there's not enough, there's not even enough roles just for Asians in general. And to kind of break it down and say, you know, we only need this type of person to represent this type of person. We're just not there yet. So, so, you know, I can see both sides, but I definitely feel like I think, um, audiences are clamoring for more authentic representation and representation that represents all the diversity of Asians. Stephanie Shu, I'd love to get your take on this. What do you think about Asian American actors playing ethnicities that are not their own? Yeah, well, first, I, I really wanted to just quickly respond and just affirm everything Gita was saying. And um, 
you know, the just the amount of material that you constantly see either conflating story, conflating ethnicities, conflating cultures yes. and, and crossbreeding. And it, it it's really overwhelming. And I just want to say to all the writers or people and creative listening who are, you know, people of color, I'm like, the best way to break through those barriers is for us to create those stories and for us to tell them because they won't know until we show them. Um, but in terms of um, other cultures or the sort of um, East Asian, South Asian conversation that comes to play a lot, I, I think that it is a, I think it's a delicate balance because, you know, I think that part of acting is being able to play different characters and different roles. But the problem is, is that we're just not there yet where we are, we haven't done the authenticity of showing the people who have been silenced. So until we make sure that those voices are heard, we can't skip that step, if that makes any sense. Yeah, interesting. And I'm thinking about Gita Malik, there was pushback to the casting. Um, of a Vietnamese American actor as the lead into All the Boys I've Loved Before, which is a Korean American character. And I, I'm wondering as somebody in the role that you are behind the scenes, who has a role in directing and casting, how you manage um, questions around actors playing ethnicities that are not their own and what you think the the challenges are around that. Yeah, I think it's exactly as Dr. Yoon said. Um, we're we're getting there, but we're not there yet where we can pick and choose, you know, uh, only a North Indian person can play this North Indian role. And I think we also really limit our creative partners, you know, who are actors in those kinds of roles. I think for me, um, it's very, very important to try to be as authentic as possible. Um, I can be authentic to my own experience, you know, speaking from, I am North Indian and we are overrepresented in, in, in culture. Um, in India, as well as here, you know, we don't hear as much about South Indian stories, about East Indian stories. Um, so I think it's 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 a very very good question and one we need to continue. We need to continue this conversation, but I don't believe that we have the freedom yet to say, you know, we can have the most authentic character or I'm sorry, actor in each character's role because we just don't have enough representation. Period. Hmm. So any opportunity that comes up for someone who is one of part of one of our communities, I think is very important to support that um, while still trying to be as authentic as possible. I think in a perfect world, we would be able to cast everyone properly, <laughs> um, but I think, you know, we need a lot more opportunity. Gita Malik is director and writer of the feature films, India Sweets and Spices, Troublemaker, and the short film, Shameless. Nancy Wong Yun is with us, a sociologist and author of the book, Real Inequality, who's just completed a study looking at the portrayals by Asian Pacific Islanders in popular films of the last, more than last decade. Stephanie Shu is with us, an actor as well. And you, our listeners, are joining us. Let me go to caller Joe in Walnut Creek. Hi, Joe. Hi there. Thanks so much for this show. Very interesting topic. I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the role of the Asian male in, in film and in shows. We are so underrepresented and always stereotyped as, you know, the, the, the either the martial artist or the nerd type of thing. And I wish we could see more of the, the true Asian male, you know, the leader, the leading character, 
the person that has a lot more dimension that we're portrayed as. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I, I would hope that, you know, both the directors, the, the, the sociologists, and everybody else would keep in mind that we are actually multidimensional characters. Um, yeah. I, I know that women have been portrayed a lot better, you know, as, as exotic and, and, and beautiful and, and so forth and so on. But just the role of the Asian male in films is sorely lacking. Well, Joe, thanks for bringing that up. I'm not sure that we would have been um, portrayed so much better, but I do know that, Nancy Wong Yun, in your study, you really did look at the way that Asian males are portrayed. And there were some really disturbing stereotypes that, that Joe is, I think, underscoring. Yeah, so I, I totally, you know, sympathize with Joe. And we did look at emasculation, which is what he's talking about in terms of um, we found that actually Asian Pacific Islander men, 58% of them in 2019 did not have any romantic relationships. And one was even told um, on screen, no one wants to have sex with you. <laughs> so so they are they are definitely hype, uh, emasculated, whereas, you know, Asian women are hypersexualized. And he mentioned that as a positive, but certainly we know, you know, with the Atlantic, Atlanta shootings, the kind of hypersexualization, the exoticization actually leads to violence and and certainly objectification that I don't think uh, me and my Asian American sisters appreciate very much. So I think that there's downsides, right? But there is this kind of, it's hard because I think it definitely um, Asian men have experienced this. This is across East Asian and South South Asian men in terms and Southeast Asian in terms of representations as nerds and as um, you know, not having, not being romantic leads a lot of times. I think Crazy Rich Asians was the first in our, and I think contemporary times to kind of break that mold. And so I, I certainly uh, actually feel, uh, you know, very empathetic, but at the same time, you know, actually Asian men, API men are are represented 1.7 to one woman. So they're actually overrepresented compared to women. And I think that that's something that we should note, you know, that, that men, Asian men actually are more represented in popular films than women. Well, I want to bring Jeff Chang into the conversation now, executive producer of Young Rock, which is uh, the story of Dwayne Johnson, and also co-executive producer of Fresh Off the Boat. Jeff Chang, thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be a part of this conversation. Yes, I'm listening to people's impressions, the stats from Nancy Wang Yun, the experiences of Stephanie Shu and Gita Malik. I, I do wonder about whether things are getting better on the producer level or in writer's room, since you have so much experience in both. Well, I mean, I think, again, like I think, like everyone's kind of saying, it's a, it's a work in progress, you know, because it... What we have is, I'll speak to the writer's room, for example. I do think that there is definitely a desire for diversity, but I think the key really is to, like, for example, in a writer's room, there's a bit of like a hierarchy with like, as you um, become more senior, you know, you kind of move up the ladder, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. usually as you move up, those are usually the people who end up developing and creating shows, you know? And so the way that a lot of, um, they have these diversity programs in television, which like try to bring in like a young writer, usually a staff writer, which is the bottom tier, you know, and which is great because the way they do it is they have them not count against the budget. I don't want to get too technical, but it's a way to bring in diversity hypothetically. Right. But the key really is, is that those people need to continue to rise and not get stuck at the bottom, you know? So it's like, it's a, it's a, is it a step with the right intentions? Yes. But the key is, is that like, 
these people will need to rise and have the opportunity because I think when you step into a place and you're the only person that is diverse, which is, I think, less so the case now, but I think that you also have to deal with the stigma of being like, Am, do people think I'm here just because I'm checking a box or do they actually think that I can do this? Do I think that I can do this? It's a lot of pressure, but yeah. I think like as people grow through that and rise, I think that'll lead to, you know, potentially more people in a position who can then tell more stories of, you know, um, different, of people of different backgrounds. So it sounds like what you're saying is that they will bring people of color in, start them very low, but you're not seeing, they start them at the very entry level, but you're not seeing the promotion happening at the level that it needs to. And it is that level of promotion that would actually enable people to have greater voice in what is being produced or written or what gets put out on screen. Yeah, I think I think that it's not that I think it it has been happening and this has been existing, you know. And for example, Young Rock is a very diverse staff, but it it also it, I think that when you have someone who's creating the show, like I um, on Young Rock, me and and Nanachka Khan like have worked on the show, and because our point of view is to bring have a diverse room, you know. And I've worked with her for a long time. Her ethos is always in trying to be inclusive and bringing in a variety of voices. I think like that helps because, you know, it's just more of that. And I do think it is improving. As the executive producer on Young Rock, um, a show about Dwayne Johnson's life, <laughs> what is your reaction to the fact that if it weren't for Dwayne Johnson, as Nancy Wong Yun said earlier, the number of films with Asian Americans leading over the last decade would be like even more abysmal? <laughs> I know that's that's a that's an amazing statistic. I mean, he's obviously like you know he's one of the biggest stars in the world, and that's for a reason. His charisma, and you know, he's just he's a very unique, almost like a unicorn. But you know, I think I do think that you know, in doing this show, for example, I'm just going to use like because we're telling a story about his family, you know, and his family is a mixed Black and Samoan family. Like it allowed us to bring in a a cast and we did a, like a global search to bring in a cast that was authentic, you know? So I feel like, you know, it really comes down to like a top down type of thing. And the more people who are willing to put people in a position of giving them opportunities, then the more chance that there will be opportunities, you know? So well, we'll have more with Jeff Chang, Gita Malik, Nancy Wong Yun and Stephanie Shu after the break. I'm Mina Kim, you're listening to Forum. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You know, Randall, to understand me, you got to understand where I came from. I was born into a wrestling family. Your dad was wrestling superstar Rocky Johnson. The soul man, Rocky Johnson. That was him. That was Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Randall Park in the opening scene of Young Rock. And we've got Jeff Chang, executive producer of Young Rock, with us. Also, Gita Malik, director and writer of the feature films India Sweets and Spices, Troublemaker and Shameless. Nancy Wong Yun is with us, a sociologist who looks at uh, 
portrayals of Asian Americans in Hollywood. And Stephanie Hsu, an actor who is on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and The Path and who will star in an upcoming A24 film as well. And you, our listeners, are with us telling you about moments when you saw yourself represented on screen or what representation means to you. You can call us at 866-733-6786 to join the conversation. 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. And let me read some of the comments that we have coming in right now. Stephen tweets, I want to see more AAPI actors in general, especially in lead roles. And please, can Daniel Day Kim survive an entire movie? Don't you think he's had enough practice dying? Curtis writes, we will know when Asian Americans have made it in Hollywood when we are depicted as being leading men and women as everyday Americans. You know, Stephanie Shu, one of the things that I really liked about hearing that clip from from Young Rock and thinking about Dwayne The Rock Johnson is that in many ways his success, because he embodies both black and Asian ethnicities, it's it's like an embodiment of also the rise um, of people of color together, like the solidarity that's needed and the kinds of advances that Asian Americans are demanding in terms of authenticity and complex representations is also something that is a shared goal among so many black indigenous you know communities of color i'm thinking even right now of um, some of the criticism that um, in the heights has received in terms of the fact that it doesn't have enough um, afro latino representation that was more reflective of washington heights and i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the conversations that actors are having around solidarity um, to try to get better representation in films and tv yeah that's a really great question um you know i think that it is really easy to critique anything. <laughs> Anyone can point their finger and point out all the reasons why we have not are not doing good enough and you know um, and I feel like I am a part of a community that really believes that in order for all of us to progress and succeed that we have to support one another and there when a studio makes a mistake or I mean there's just so much that happens behind the curtain and it doesn't make it okay but it's that is to say that like every step is hopefully one step closer to a right direction um and just you know affirming people ac across culture lines to say that your freedom is my freedom, you know, and your success is also my success. And um, I just think it's really important that there is a, a culture, especially amongst the people who are marginalized, that we are all, this is all a work in progress as, um, as uh, Jeff was saying, you know, this is all a grand experiment, both this life and this country and this Hollywood thing. So we're all doing the best that we can and it, it does take time. And that's not to say that people shouldn't be busting down walls, but I do think that when the spiral of negativity and criticism when um, happens, when change isn't happening fast enough, that also ends up keeping people, keeping us and keeping each other down, um, mm -hmm. you know, with, some of the feedback against crazy, crazy rich Asians, for example, um, no movie should 
be the answer to every single person's liberation. I mean, that would be amazing. And I want to see that movie. So, um, but you know, it's, that was, that movie was a huge feat and yes, there were problems, but there's also so many problems that we see in movies that are predominantly with white cis bodies. So it's just kind of putting everything into perspective um, and understanding that, you know, we're all, we're, we're really doing the best we can. And there are a lot of walls and uh, just gatekeepers that make it really difficult for people to um, really make the things that they want to be making. Uh, well, Gita Malik, I'd love to get your your take on this, just in terms of some of the criticism that films that Stephanie Shu was talking about are productions, whether it be In the Heights or Crazy Rich Asians, for example, for being very much uh, East Asian folks to some extent focused on wealth and and then you've got erasure in 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 the heights like what do you think of those criticisms and yeah how, i think oh i'm sorry yeah how how they advance or not the conversation yes i think they're you know as stephanie said they're very very important conversations to be having um i think the criticisms are all valid and i i you know you want to make sure all the communities have a voice and you know people should be able to see themselves on screen and represent it accurately at the same time, um, I do feel like the lack of representation generally is what's really keeping us back. If, if you know, as Stephanie said, and as a lot of people are saying, in the Heights representing the whole community, of course, you know, you have to you have to understand that the criticisms are very valid. And yet, if we had more representation, if we had more um, Afro-Dominican, Latinx uh, creators out there making more films, you know, there's there's like one a year, they give us one a year, you know, or they give us one every five years, and we have to work so hard to, to get the representation right and the authenticity right, and there are still these gatekeepers, you know, oftentimes, for me personally, I'm still coming up in my career, I'm not the final say in, in most of these things, uh, you know, you work really hard, and you fight a lot of battles, and some you win and some you lose. And once again, this is not to take any of the heat off of the creators. I am, you know, I have to stand by my movie as well um, and listen to the criticisms that will come inevitably along. Um, but I do feel like it's a, it's a great burden to place on any one person. And this is something that comes up in conversations even about female filmmakers, right? If there's, they give one woman a movie uh, and if she fails, then no woman gets a movie that year. <laughs> then they look at this woman and they say, oh, well, she can't direct and therefore women can't direct being the one person standing up for the entire community is a lot of pressure and it's quite a burden. Um, and it is something that I think we all have to really keep in mind as far as representation and do our best. Um, but also acknowledge that there are still many, many barriers to be broken down in this. Yeah. System. Well, Nancy Wong, as I hear and understand these tensions, there is almost this part of me though, that um, finds them the, the criticisms encouraging too, only in the sense that, it's like we're we're sort of done being grateful just to be there. Like we're done being grateful just for representation. That we're also saying, okay, even if our representation is representation is small, we can demand, you know, simultaneously inclusive and authentic representation. What do you think? I think 
Yeah, I think in terms of discourse, it's very important to to point out that, yeah, that in, you know, in New York, you know, we have Afro Latinx and, you know, in Hollywood, I think people only think of Mexicans, you know, it's just this kind of unfortunate, very narrow understanding of the bicoastal, like Latinx, just like the Asian and Pacific Islander communities are very big. And just to point out, the rock isn't Asian, the rock is part Samoan, which is Pacific Islander. So you know, we're, we're trying to be as, as authentically specific and respectful and acknowledging difference mm, at point. the same time, you know, advocating for, um, for the kind of rise of all underrepresented groups and acknowledging intersectionality, acknowledging class difference. I think these conversations are, are actually wonderful for a sociologist to hear, right? That, that uh, the things that we, you know, talk about in, ac- in academia is now part of kind of mainstream. It's kind of the, the, the ethnic studies, the critical race theory, all this stuff is actually, you know, I mean, there's so much debate about whether we should have these in schools, but you know, even as you know, we're having these debates, we, we're seeing that it, through the medium of popular culture, we are talking about this because our our entire country is browning, right? And we are more and more, we're increasingly diverse, and we need to acknowledge that. So I do think it's important, but it's because we, we you know we want the specificity so fast, but you know the 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 gatekeeping, as you know, as uh, as the speakers have have mentioned, where we can't, where we're actually, I think putting very, very high standards are on projects that aren't getting the same green lighting, right? So we don't put those pressures on, on whatever British shows. We, I mean, you know, we don't, we don't look at European representation <laughs> under the same scope. Mm. We don't because, but I mean, of course they're overrepresented and, you know, and also, you know, there's so much, I mean, the immigration history of the United States, you know, is diverse, right? And so we are, we have a lot of immigrants of color. We have people of color who are, who are, you know, who are wanting rights, who are wanting representation. And so I think it's, it's messy. It's really messy, but it's also, I agree. I think it's important to have these conversations and to continue, but whether that um, affects whether projects are getting, because my worry is that, you know, maybe Hollywood, which is still predominantly white, you know, behind the scenes are afraid to tackle um, projects of color because they're afraid that they might get canceled because they're not getting it right. I have mm. heard that where they're like, oh, let's just not do this at all because we don't want to, you know, have, you know, backlash. So, so this is growing pains, right? We need to, we, again, I think we need to have more people behind the scenes, but that doesn't always guarantee that things are going to be done co- completely right. Just like, you know, in the Heights, right? So I think yeah. know, this is, this is good. This yeah. Is, yes. Let's wrestle with it. <laughs> We're exactly. talking about Asian American and Pacific Islander representation in film and TV. Joseph in Portland, join us. Hi, Joseph. Thanks for waiting. Hey, thanks for taking my call. So as a mid-50s mixed race uh, man, um, Korean and white, I will say I've had you know 50 years of television and, and uh, film viewing experience. And uh, in 2018, a film came out that was, for me, just blew my mind. It's called A Simple Flavor, uh, Favor, rather, directed by Paul Fage. And it had a British, uh, I think, mixed race Asian actor, Henry Golden, Golding, um, who was married to uh, the beautiful, you know, super gorgeous Blake Lively. I remember talking to my wife, who, my wife is, is white, saying, I don't think I've seen that before, where mm-hmm. there's an Asian man married to a, a hot actress in a, a film who's taken a lead role. So kind of going back to the caller about the emasculation of, of Asian men, going all the way back to, you know, the aberration in Breakfast at Tiffany's to the absolute disgusting portrayal of uh, Long Duck Dong and 16 Candles. 
I do think there is progress when I saw that movie, Simple Favor. And it was just really, really refreshing to see that because my experience as a mixed-race Asian man, um, I don't work in tech. Um, I never worked in a Chinese restaurant. Um, I'm married to a white woman. I've only dated white women. So there you go. Well, thanks. Joseph, uh, thanks for sharing the power that representation had on you. We've had a couple of other people write in. Andrew writes, as a queer Asian American, it wasn't until the Bay Area's Frameline Fest that I saw stories reflecting my own experience, LGBTQ and Asian, LGBTQ plus Asian representation in media is powerful, transformative, and life-saving. Andres writes, I adore the show The Nino on HBO as a trans Latinx person. It was unreal watching a show that told the story of a trans woman in Spain coming of age and owning her identity loudly and, pr and proudly. I cried cathartic tears from beginning to end. It was also important that the actors were trans and that cisgender people weren't playing those roles, which feels so problematic and surprisingly still happens despite there being a growing number of trans actors. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me read this comment from Josh now. Josh tweets, besides representation in front of and behind the camera, at the front end, we need executives and investors at studios and production houses committed to greenlighting BIPOC-led stories. At the back end, marketing teams need the cultural competency to introduce these stories to everyone. Jeff Tang, your reaction to Josh's tweet about at the front end, executives, investors, studios and production houses. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's an excellent point. I mean, I think, you know, when you look at it, it's a, a lot of it, I think, is the opportunity to both succeed and to fail and then to get to try again. You know, I think that that's an opportunity that's afforded to a lot of, like, I would say the majority group that represents what, uh, what the kind of films and television we see, you know, and I think like, with that comes the ability to then have something succeed greatly potentially you know like when when you're talking about like having like one or two films a year possibly and maybe not with the same type of release or the same type of promotion that um some other film will get like it's just like the the chances are so small to break through you know so i think like with that support from an executive level too would be you know obviously gonna it would make a difference you know so um ultimately yeah. it's about money for a lot of these businesses and so if you have to you know that's unfortunately the bottom line sometimes. Let me go to caller Padma in Fremont. Hi, Padma. Hi, thank you for taking my call. You know, I've been in this country for 50 years, and Indians have been here for about 60, 70 years. And yet every time I see a character of Indian character portrayed on TV, I cringe because most of the time they're portrayed as buffoons. And uh, the, some of the films I've seen, only namesake was kind of nice. It was really portraying Indians genuinely. Even Slumdog Millionaire, which was a huge success, was very insulting to India and Hindus especially. It portrayed Hindus as terribly. Anyway, that's, that's, that's that. So I'm waiting for the day when Indians can be portrayed um, on TV and screen as uh, really what they are, you know, nice people, very inclusive, very pluralistic, very tolerant. And if you include us as South Asians, we are really surrounded by theocratic countries. And it's really not fair to a democratic, tolerant, pluralistic country and portray, portray us that way or as buffoons. Thank you. Well, Padma, thank you. And I hope that uh, our guest in this conversation is is giving you some hope that people will be seen more 
accurately and authentically on screen at, from now on. We're coming up to the end of the hour, and I do want to ask our guests, I guess, a similar question um, that we we're putting out to the audience, which is about a moment when you saw yourself represented on screen and it cracked something open for you. And uh, and so I'll start with you, Kita Malik. Um, yes, I have a very distinct memory <laughs> of seeing myself on screen. I mean, I, I grew up on, on Indian film, so I always saw brown faces on screen, but they were very much in India and didn't reflect my experience as a South Asian American. The moment I remember is watching Frasier, the TV show Frasier, which I love still to this day. And there was a waitress, I remember, um, who looked brown. And I was like, oh my goodness, and I'm dating myself here because I couldn't just pause or you know, fast forward, rewind. I had to wait till the end of the show and I watched for the credits and I watched and I, like a hawk. And I remember seeing her name and being like, yes, that was an Indian woman. <laughs> like, waitress. And I was like, someday I could be that waitress. And then of course, later on, I was like, why couldn't I be Frasier? You know? so, <laughs> yes. But it was, it was lovely to see someone as, as the caller just said, just, just existing in America. She was a waitress. And you know, that was a representation I was actually very glad to have at that moment. It's Stephanie Shu. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I remember when I saw Sandra Oh in Sideways, um, that was a really significant performance for me because I had remembered up until that point, my mom had literally said to me, you can never be an actor because no one looks like you on screen. And I knew I couldn't do Kung Fu and I knew I couldn't do karate. So I was like, well, I guess I don't know. I, I don't know. And then I remember seeing Sandra O's performance and I just remember her acting with a capital A and <laughs> just being incredible. And it had nothing to do with the color of her skin. And it really it really broke something open and broke open possibility for me. Thank you for showing us how important (laughs) representation is. Stephanie Xu, Nancy Wong Yun, Gita Malik, and Jeff Chang. Really appreciate having you all on. Caroline Smith produced today's segment. Forum is also produced by Ariana Prail, Blanca Torres, Susan Britton is lead producer, Judy Campbell is senior editor. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Katie McMurrin. Our intern is Kimia Akbari. Thanks to our listeners for sharing their reflections. Thank you to The Rock for being so much of the, the movies that we saw in the last decade with Asian leads. Have a great weekend, everybody, and happy Juneteenth. And thank you. Hi. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.